Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, it's Hillary here. Just a quick note, this series does deal with a lot of tough subject matter that may be difficult for some listeners. So please keep this in mind when and where you choose to listen to these episodes. Brandon spends his days alone in prison, the outside world a long-forgotten memory. His days of riding horses, caring for animals, or just hanging out with his friends are long gone. And instead, he hangs on to the hope that his case will be reopened and the DNA evidence found in the clutched hand of Norma Woodruff will be tested. Last episode, we examined the key evidence in the case against Brandon as well as his two-week trial. And on this episode, we will discuss what it's like to interview someone in prison, as well as hear from Brandon himself. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and this is True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here. We're back at it. We've got Poe, Dan, and Andrew. You guys, let's go ahead and dive in. Interviewing someone who is in prison is an experience that I think very few people on the planet have. I mean, you consider how many people work in our industry, and then you boil that down to how many people are doing documentary work, and then you boil that down to how many people are doing true crime. And so it's not something you can necessarily learn in college or study for. It feels like something you kind of just get thrust into. The sound of it is something that's really an experience. There's this echo and a clank and this mull of voices that are always going. It is a sensory overload in this really kind of subtle way. I mean, it's nothing subtle about prison, but you know, the way that it overtakes you is intense and everyone's on guard and, you know, nothing is spontaneous there, at least in my experience and everyone I know's experience. It is a tense scary place in ways that you can't completely articulate. And there's a despair. I mean, sorry to 
paint a dark picture. Well, it's prison. It's dark. I can't imagine what it's like to be incarcerated in a maximum security prison. But walking in to the prison to do an interview, you get a tiny taste of it because you're immediately giving up your freedom when you walk in. You walk through a door and a door locks behind you. And you know you can't get out unless somebody lets you out. You know, so instantly you've given up your freedom. You don't have your cell phone on. You can't call anybody to help you. You know, you're at the mercy of the people who are running the prison. And so just that kind of instant realization that you're trapped in there is just a tiny, tiny fraction of what I could imagine would be like. So prison is obviously a very difficult place to be. And when it comes to doing a sit-down interview with someone in prison for a show like ours, it's not a simple process. You know, we can't just roll up to the prison with all of our gear and hope to get inside. We knew that we wanted to speak directly with Brandon. So how were we able to set up that interview? Well, in Brandon's case, the facility allowed prison interviews. They have media rules, though. You know what you could bring in, what you can't bring in, who could come in when, when it could be scheduled, where you could be in the prison to do this. And so they have a whole list of rules and regulations. So then you could do that. But then you have to get permission from the inmate, right? So then you reach out. And in this case, for Brandon, we didn't talk directly to him at first. A podcaster by the name of Scott Pogensey introduced us to Brandon. And we'll talk more about Scott later. But he was really interested in Brandon's story. And he even became friends with Brandon and covered this case in his own podcast. And so we reached out to Scott and we told him what we were doing and that we were interested in talking to Brandon. And he went and talked to Brandon himself and said, Hey, these guys are interested in interviewing with you. And Brandon agreed to interview with us. So... Once we got the okay from Brandon, then we reached out to the prison and arranged for the interview. And it's very, very strict. Each warden really has a big choice. Many, many states and prisons don't allow it. And what would be the reason for limiting people from conducting these kinds of interviews or just saying no? They only have limited resources to shepherd and watch over a crew. I mean, essentially, they assign a uh, a public information officer. And, you know, that could be a whole day for them. And, you know, they do have other things to do, uh, like running the prison or, you know, speaking to other matters that is important to the prison. I forgot to say that, like you're met by the PIO, the public information officer, and they accompany you the whole time. Sometimes the warden will give you an interview or not, but sit down interviews, that's trickier. And it's whether their policy is yes or no and what the warden decides. And they have specific dates and times, too, because they, in, in Brandon's case, the interviews were being done in the area where people come to visit the inmates. So it's in like where the families would come in to meet with you know their loved ones kind of thing. But they also didn't want us there while other people were visiting. So we had to schedule at a time when it wasn't regular general visitation hours. Just kind of the layers of subtraction. It's like you can only talk to him this many times in a month or a year, and you can only come on these days. And when you do come on this day, you're only allotted this amount of time. I mean, Going into an interview like that, I can imagine the pressure to get it all right. Yeah. Like, you better pray to God the camera doesn't have an issue or that the sound guy doesn't have an issue. Were we even allowed to have sound? No, Andrew ran sound. We couldn't have anybody else in there with us. Because they're really limited. They're like, who's coming? They got to do checks on you. They need to know the age and all the information. Andrew passed a background check? Yeah. Andrew's clean as a whistle. So when we're scheduling the Brandon interview, who is communicating with the prison from our team? 
We had, yeah, I think Shireen originally, then went to Rob, then went to me. So we had several people sort of doing the groundwork because there is a lot of prep that has to happen ahead of time. So that's our team behind the scenes is our, our APs and our producers and various people that are helping us logistically with everything we need from start to finish. They were buttoned up at this prison. We arrived and they were like, we will meet you at the gatehouse. So we drove up and we couldn't go park ourselves. We had to go to the gatehouse and the PIO came out and says, okay, follow me. And he showed us exactly where to park. And then as we park and then we're taking our gear out, he's looking at every piece of gear to make sure we're not smuggling something in, we're not bringing something in we shouldn't. And we're checking with things like, hey, can I bring this? Yeah, that's okay. How about this? No, don't bring that. You you can't bring money. You can't bring your wallet. You can't bring your phone. You know, it's funny. We know this and we're like, fine, we'll leave our phone here. And but he was kind of a funny guy. He's like, so many times I get crews in here, they get really mad if they can't bring their phone in. It has become such a security blanket. I went to go cover Greg Lance's last court hearing. And he's someone from season one who is incarcerated in Tennessee. And so we went to cover the hearing and they're like, you have to leave your phone in the car. And it just throws you in a really subconscious way because you're like, oh, I don't have my escape ladder. I don't have that thing, you know, like my bat phone to call for help. And then the door slams behind you when you walk in and you're like, I'm trapped here. The sound of the gate going behind you, that is like, it's got this kind of screechy sound usually. I mean, it's usually a buzzer or a bell. Yeah. And then a Yeah, that's it's that hydraulic sound lets you know that there's nothing you physically can do. Yeah, it is an older prison. There's like metal screeching and, you know, just that sound of it going behind you. Definitely. You know, it's just like your shoulders start edging up towards your ears and they don't go down until you leave. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. How much time did we have for Brandon? It's limited. We have an hour with him. One hour? One hour, that's it. Dan, it takes us an hour to warm people up. Yeah, and that's the tricky part of this, right? I mean, you're walking in, and because the communications have been through other, you know, third parties, like we put in a request that he gets asked, and I haven't talked directly to him. So you guys hadn't emailed or talked or... Just through third parties. So we hadn't talked directly to each other. And, you know, that is not always the case, but in this case it was. So we had not had access to Brandon beforehand. So walking in, we were able to set up before he's brought in. So we're brought into the visitation room. We're showed where we could set up the camera, where we could put the microphone. We get everything as prepped as we possibly can. And not a lot of time to set up. So we're really, it's a very fast setup. And then they bring Brandon in and it's instant. Like you have to just connect as quickly as you can. Okay, he's coming out. Okay, thank you. And just tell him how to put that microphone on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You did? Yeah, I was sitting over here. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I already put it out there. Go down. You know what I'm saying? You're going to put his stuff there so he's not. Hey, man, are you good? Hey. Yeah, how are you? Hey, good. How are you? Okay, okay. Nice to meet you. Uh, you want me to put this on? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. You've done a few times. Uh, couple. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, and Dan, show me your eye line. Okay, hold on a second. I'm gonna, we're just going to set the camera up, so I'm just going to step back here. All okay. right. You can, I'm going to just get to keep talking, but I'm just going to lean back, because I guess when we talk, I'll probably ask a question. Okay. Like, okay. sit back a little bit. Yes, sir. Because so uh, you'll be talking to me. Okay. The yes, sir. And uh, do you want to see my eye line, Andrew? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Okay. Sort of, just sort of lining up the camera. For okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let me adjust the light. Yeah. Sounds good. Does this level look good? Okay. okay. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm giving me y'all. Yeah, we. Yeah, I heard. She was like, "There's such a nice group of people," and I was like, "That's really good," because. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. James, what a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really cool. He kind of came into my life about uh, 12 years, 13 years ago. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's really, 
He's a really good guy. Seems good for her. Yes, 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 sir. Yes, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, good. So yeah, so I'll talk to you. Huh? I'll, I'll talk to you. Oh yeah, I agree. Much better. Okay. <laughs> These are much better than. The okay. Phone. So um, I guess the best thing for us to do is I'll ask a question. Okay. And then maybe put the phone down. And yes, sir. Talk to me. Okay. Is that how you guys? Did? Uh, that's how we did it before. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Great. That yeah. makes sense. The setup was pretty difficult. I mean, so Brandon is behind a pane of glass. And the only way I could communicate with him is through a telephone connecting my side with his side. So I'd pick up the phone, ask my question, and then we'd both hang up the phone and Brandon would answer. To do this for every question and while also trying to get to know him was pretty difficult. Our normal way of working is that we spend time with people. We listen for a while before we really start doing anything. questions. And the way we do it particularly is different than news and different than some people is we have a conversation and it's rolling. And that's how we work. So this is a wildly different circumstance. So imagine you've been in prison for how many years? Well, yeah, since 2005 after his parents' death. Right. So, you know, occasionally he gets interviewed. He's been interviewed in the past. He's been thinking about this for a long time. He has a lot to say. (laughs) And that definitely changes the pace of the interview as well. There's a little bit that ticking clock does. I'm going to say as many things as I can as quickly as possible in this manner. Well, I can't imagine there's a right tone for the incarcerated person to hit. It's like either you're too guarded or you are too frantic trying to get the information out or you are too familiar with the interviewer or you're nervous. Like there's just, there's not a right tone. Well, and also it's what's going on. I mean, he's incarcerated. His life is hard in there. Even the guard said when we were walking in, that Brandon's moody, you know? You might get him on a good day where he might be friendly to you. You might get him on a bad day where he's just going to be nasty. What's really interesting is like, we all know how it feels to wake up from a bad dream and be like, ah, okay, it's a dream. Or if something bad happens, you wake up the next morning and you're like, okay, it's a new day. It's past tense, yeah. And they don't get that. Every day they wake up and their nightmare is real. And we do have to remember that. And you can't even imagine what his life is like going in there. And so we weren't sure how he was going to be with us just from that. And then he had done other interviews. And I think he felt guarded because of them as well. And so when we walked in and Brandon sat down, you know, I think it's about making the eye contact. As soon as Brandon sat down and we looked at each other face to face and just started introducing ourselves and Mm -hmm. trying to do that in a fast way, but in a genuine way. Then I have to get certain things. I have to cover certain ground. And so you get selective. There were so many things I wanted to talk to him about, but there were things that I knew I needed to get. And that's frustrating because sometimes the best things you find are the ones when you're just wandering and we don't have that luxury. Yeah, and I'll have to count down the clock in the middle of that and make reminders and suggestions. We need to move on. We need to get to this other place. God, that Our time feels so is callous out. when you're telling someone who's talking to you about their trauma. Like, cool story, but we've only got 20 minutes yeah, left. Yeah, how to and do I, that properly. Yeah, it's funny. I start off very slow. And then, yeah, Andrew suddenly is tapping me. He's like, half an hour. I'm like, really? A half an hour has gone by already? You know, I'm kind of just getting started. But it was definitely a constant tap on my shoulder from Andrew, like keeping an eye on the clock. Well, the thing working against someone like Brandon is unlike family members that we interview or law enforcement or people out in the free world, especially in season two of our show, they're able to look at our episodes and see the tone that we set and the advocacy that we get involved with. 
and see the duality of the viewpoints we're presenting. Brandon can't just go and watch our show in order to build trust with us. We spoke with Brandon's grandmother, Bonnie, before we spoke with Brandon. So I was able to come in and we were able to say, oh my God, we met with your grandmother and talk about our experience sitting down with Bonnie. And that created a bond because Brandon loves his grandmother. And I think knowing that we were with her and, you know, it sort of put his mind at ease a little bit. It just, it was instant familiarity in some ways with us. I have to say that there are certain moments in making a show where the responsibility really hits you. Mm -hmm. We have a huge responsibility. Not everybody thinks that, not everybody acts that way in making this kind of program. This team feels it. I feel it. There are moments that just it hits home. Meeting with Bonnie for you, I think probably, I would assume, might be one of those moments where you know somebody is in so much pain. Anytime there's hope and you feel like you can't answer their question, like you cannot affirmatively say, I'm here to help you. All you can say is, I'm here to give a platform. And what comes right. of that comes of that. Right. Meeting with family members from either the victim or the person who's in prison and their hope, yes, but their pain. And then meeting with that person, their pain and the responsibility we have in telling their story, however it is, you know, whatever people will take away from it. That's the kind of moment where you're sitting there in front of this person and you are their hope of their story being heard. That's a profound moment. But when the person you're interviewing is claiming innocence in a short interview like this, there is always going to be some tension around the hardest question that you're going to have to ask. Which is, did you kill this person? Yeah. So did you kill your parents? No, I did not. Sorry, did you say again? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, just put the phone down and then answer. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, No, sir, I did not kill my parents. Um... How important is it for law enforcement to find who did? Um, I think to me, the number one thing is to find out who actually killed my parents. Um, Then my parents can get justice, I can get justice, and my family can get justice. Right now, justice has not been served Um, for my parents either. You know, the situation in terms of me is a whole nother chapter. You know, of course, I've been denied justice. Of course, I got wrongly convicted. Of course, you know, there's a lot of things that should never have happened to me. that I've never should have been put in this situation. But my parents still deserve justice, too. The entire interview can change. You may have a follow up to that question. Did you kill your parents? Why would you kill your parents? Why are people saying you killed your parents? Right. There's a lot of things that we're going to want to ask. We want them to address the guilty version. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Not just their own innocent version, but we want them to talk about why there's a guilty version. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, because of the limited time, we, with Brandon, I didn't want to go through all of the evidence for or against the specific evidence, because that's the investigation. And we wanted to make sure we got his story, his direct experience. What was he doing? What was he experiencing? What was his family like? You know, really the stuff that he could answer directly because the details of the investigation we can get from other people, you know? Sure. So we really were like, we just don't have time to go to every single point. And it was hard because I really wanted to ask a ton of detailed investigation questions. But there's also a human element to this, which is we haven't experienced Brandon in person. And we may presume he might be innocent or guilty, but that's like a truth moment when you ask that question. Look me in the eye, you know? And... Every person has a different experience. You kind of hope that there isn't like a huge silence when you ask that question. 
But Brandon answered really quickly. I mean, he said, no, I didn't. So Dan, how did he seem to you? I mean, did Brandon seem hopeful when you first walked into that room with him? Yeah, I think knowing that he has people who believe him helps him. You know, I think his grandmother is a huge support for him and the other members of his family who believe in him are huge. And for us to come in and say, we just want to hear your story. You know, we want to listen to what you have to say. He was very appreciative of that. I mean, I think he was happy that we were there talking to him. And again, we don't make the promises like we're going to be able to affect any change or, you know, I didn't come in and say, oh my God, I can't believe you're so innocent and why are you in jail? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we you, can't make you, that yeah, assumption. No, we're, we're, I'm walking in asking him hard questions. And so, when so what I was, were your hard questions? There were a couple of points that bothered me about this case that I wanted to ask Brandon. One was the dagger, which we spoke about in the last episode, but his roommate said Brandon had a medieval looking dagger in his dorm room. And they found a medieval looking dagger at the Heath house and it had Dennis's DNA on it. This to me looked really damning. And it was something that concerned me. Like I wanted to know. So that was one of the ones I, I'm like, I have to ask him directly. Was that your dagger? The dagger. I know that you, did you own one? Yes, sir. roommate said that you did. And then they, they found one. Can you describe what this is and like what they said is yours? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so I actually did own what they called a replica dagger, a replica dagger. Um, Medieval Times Castle Dinner and Tournament uh, has Andalusian horses in their uh, production. And I was always a big fan of Andalusian horses. And there was a head trainer there named Marcial Contreras. Uh, he actually works for Medieval Times Dinner and Tournament as their head trainer, but he also shows horses uh, in the International Andalusian uh, Horse Association. So in the tournament, when you see some of the horses bowing and laying down or are going down in the, in the jousting to the viewer's eyes, you know, the horse, they're in battle. But to a trainer's eyes, they're trained to lay down. They're trained to do these things. And so what we basically had is like a dagger about this size and you would use as points on a horse's body to get the horse to bow, to get the horse to lay down. But they weren't sharp. That's the key thing I wanna you know, emphasize on. You're not gonna put a sharp blade against a horse's flesh and just take a possibility that it's gonna go through a horse. So what I had was in fact a dagger. My roommate did see a dagger in my room and he wanted me to go check what they call the resident advisor to make sure you know I could have that in the room. He said that the dagger though, it was longer than my palm. So he says, you know, just take it out of the dorm room just because you know it's bigger than a pocket knife. And I said, okay, no problem. That was the first week of school. And I actually took it back to the barn where the horses are being kept at. That was an important thing for me to ask him. because Of course. And he went on to talk about the dagger that he had, where he got it, the size of it. And that was helpful for me because then I said, okay, now this is something that we could go back and we could look into further. You know, yeah. but I got his take on it directly. You know, for Brandon trying to come off as like not rehearsed, I can't imagine like the night before, you know, you have to do this interview and not just staying up being like, okay, these are the points I have to hit and this is what I have to address and I have to answer their questions too, but also get my love for my sister out and my love for my grandma out and my innocence and all of that. And there's so many different things, right? So what was his relationship like with his parents? I wanted to know, but really how this case affected him and his family. They lost Dennis and Norma. The entire family lost these two, by all accounts, amazing people, right? Dennis's mother, Dennis's family, Norma's family, all lost these two people. And Brandon is accused of killing them. What is that like to be accused of killing your parents? And how does that affect the entire family? And I think that for me to ask him about his relationship with his grandmother, his relationship with his sister, 
his relationship with other members of his family was important for me to ask. Well, let's go ahead and hear more from Brandon. Uh, So growing up with my sister was uh, definitely a fun experience. We were only 13 months apart. So she was the big sister, but, you know, I kind of took on the role of kind of like we're mutual, you know, because we're so close together. Um, Even though we were only 13 months apart, we were two grades apart. So, you know, growing up before school, we would, you know, run around the house and and have fun and she would have her friends, I would have my friends. And then once we started going up into middle school and high school together, it was kind of like my first year in high school as a sophomore, she was already a senior. So it was kind of cool having a senior as a sister. It was kind of like, yeah, well, my sister's a senior and she was on the dance team and she was always doing stuff with her dance group. Um, And she was, you know, she was just like a typical sister. She loved me. I loved her. And, you know, we had a good childhood. We had a very good childhood, in my opinion. So Um, what has this done to your family? You being arrested for for, for for your parents, what's this done to your family? Me being arrested um, definitely has split um, some of my family members. I've got a lot of family members that support me, that love me, that believe in me, that they know the truth and they stand up and they stand tall, they stand confident. And, you know, they're my rocks, they're my angels. Um, I've got some family members though, however, that, you know, are divided. They, you know, it's sad and it, and I really don't even like talking about it too much, but it's like, they believe that I killed my parents. And that's just something very, you know, hard to swallow sometimes. And, it's just like when I think about that or I hear that, you know, my sister, my own sister, you know, she's kind of like basically she's took the stand of the law enforcement side and that hurts more than really anything. It's just like you're supposed to know me like we grew up together. We, you know, we went through so much together and now you're just kind of like, I, you know, it's just it's kind of difficult. The hurt, like. Charla led the charge. Charla's the one who came down there and said he did it. The closest person to him that was living still came down and said he did it. He's lying. And that whole interview she did with the police was so shocking. And he's clearly still shocked by it. And he said, how could you believe this about me? And, you know, we're so close. You know me. How could you say this? It doesn't seem like he's he's clearly been thinking about it for the last almost 20 years. But he also seems like it's fresh. Well, and talking to us is one of the few ways he can get this affection he still feels for his sister out into the world, you know? He can't contact her directly. It's a strained relationship. Bonnie has told us that. And so rather than in our interview be like, I can't believe my sister said this stuff about me. She's the worst. No, instead he's telling us how wonderful their childhood was and how funny she is and how she overcame some pretty serious stuff. And... There's a lot of grace in that, especially if you consider he's been sitting in a cage for a very long time. And yeah, and that she has adamantly turned against you and says you did it. Also, I thought that the little ad he did where he said, you know, we had a great childhood from my perspective, which I think is the crux of it, because two people can live the same experience or the same circumstance and have different experiences. And it seems from what we look at that she may have had a different experience at times than he did with their childhood. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So in addition to Dan's interview with Brandon, we spoke to him again later over the phone. And we didn't necessarily have the same time restraint that you had, Dan, when you guys were in prison, but we were still dealing with some other obstacles. So let's talk about that day. We were down in Texas. We were at his grandmother's house. And that adds a whole other layer to the situation. I mean, we've got his grandmother, like his one loving family member sitting there with us. And I've got to ask him questions about his lifestyle, who he was partying with, who he was sleeping with, pornography, like all of that. And again, we are spending a lot of time in this episode talking about being tender to sensitive subject matter. She's very vulnerable. And again, it's that responsibility that you have this incredibly vulnerable emotionally distraught person who, you know, she's raw. It's like a little bird in your hand. It feels like that you have to take care of. You might not want to use that metaphor, but you have to be so gentle 
around those people. And yet you also have to do what we came here to do, which is ask real questions. So specifically for prison phone calls that I am engaged with, just technically to shoot them, you can't just have me sitting in a car by myself talking to someone on the phone because there's not a level of visual communication, right? It's stagnant. You can't live in it for longer than a couple minutes. And so with a phone call like Brandon, having his grandmother there as a representative for Brandon, where we can see her face as he's talking, seems very important. Absolutely. I think we had scheduled time for you, Hillary, to be with Bonnie. And Bonnie is on Brandon's approved call list. So that worked out really well that he could call in. Like, we can't call Brandon. Like, he has to initiate the phone call. So we didn't know exactly when he was going to be able to call, but we knew we were going to be at Bonnie's house on this particular day. And we're just, whenever he called was when you would be able to have that conversation with him. So it was organized and it was set up, but it was still very unpredictable. Right. You don't know if they're going to go on lockdown that day in the prison or if he'll just change his mind or if, you know, power lines go down and her phone doesn't work. You know, there's no telling what's going to happen. Or there's a long line that day and he doesn't get to the phone in time because they have a certain amount of minutes that they can talk on the phone and then the next one comes. And if he gets cut off before then, it doesn't happen that day. There's a whole lot of factors that go into the phone call coming to Bonnie and you being able to talk to him. So let's just listen to that phone call because the problems become clear right away. Just stick with the two. Hello? Brandon Woodruff. Yes. Michael unit, this call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. Change for you. Secure it. You may start the conversation now. Hey, Brandon. Hey, what's Well, we're talking to... Hillary. Hi, it's Hillary. Hillary here. We're talking to Hillary. Oh, okay. Is everything going okay? It's, it's great. Let me... Hold on just a minute. Hey, can you put him on Okay. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, um, well, they wanted me to try to call about my 30 or 545, but we're going to actually call the rank. I'm going to put the line on you, so I was really just calling to see if everything was okay and if they needed anything else from me. Or... Hi, Brandon. I'm just happy to, to talk to you myself. Um, okay, I don't know. <laughs> hi, your grandmother put you on speakerphone, but I didn't okay. want to ambush you. Um. It's so nice to sit here with her and learn more about your family. How are you? I really appreciate everything you are doing. Like, it really means a lot to me. I was talking to them and I was just like, basically, I need as much exposure as I can get because I feel like the more people that hear my story or like listen to all the facts and not just like partial facts, then I think that might, you know, can lead to something, you know, really happening big, so. Why do you feel like your case hasn't gotten exposure? You know, I think in the beginning, you know, when I first got arrested, like when I very first was charged, um, I was screaming so loud and I felt like, well, nobody's really listening to me. I mean, the core group of people that know me from, you know, a boy, they all believed in me and knew me, but it was like, um, no, nobody else was really wanting to hear me. So I reached out to a Channel 11 interview and... After that interview, my attorneys were like, well, there's a media gag order. You can't talk to nobody else. At that time, I was like, did anybody help me? And then, you know, a lot of people, a lot of attorneys will tell us, and especially tell my family, that 
we don't need to talk about the case, we don't need to bring nothing up, we need to keep, you know, investigating, do this. But after so much time of being in prison, and you're like, hey, nobody's listening, I'm gonna start reaching out to many people that would just listen and actually look at everything. And I feel like, you know, it's coming to a point where, you know, it's been over 15 years, there's nothing really happening, you know, that's really getting anybody's interest. And it's like, I just think once people start hearing, they're like, I can't believe that happened. And I'm like, you know, y'all should start paying attention to this. Like, this call is being terminated due to a system error. Please hang up and try your call again. <sighs> we got disconnected a few times, I believe, during yeah. that call. Brandon sounds desperate to me when yeah, he begins I mean, that, to talk to you. That, he is trying so hard to get his story out, like from the very beginning. He was like, news people, news people, anyone who has a vehicle, a platform to put this story out outside of my small community, please listen to my story. As I look over our notes, I want to talk about that frantic energy because he's trying to fit so much information into each response. And so again, we run into another soundbite that we're going to play for you guys here where he gets cut off mid-monologue. Are they also focusing on the hairs found in your mother's hand? Yeah, um, so basically they want to test all the hairs. Um, my grandmother, she's been like my angel throughout this whole thing. And, you know, it's really hard to, you know, for, for working people that have worked all their lives, they go and say, well, now we need to fund this defense. And the state, obviously, they, they can't all the new law. Basically, if it's post-conviction written, we can test DNA if it's still available. But the state argued that they weren't going to pay for it. So we were able to. Oh, did we lose him? Mm-mm-mm. I bet it went dead. I guess that kept beeping, didn't it? Yeah. Maybe he'll call back. Maybe I'll get to the other. Her portable phone died in the middle of that. And then we had to just hope that Brandon was going to call back again. Right. Yeah. I think I changed the batteries. For her. You changed the batteries. That's it. Andrew showed phone. up like another grandson, like, to change batteries and, like, get her phone bring, working Bring the again. phone in from the other room to have a, yeah. It I was, mean, that's difficult because you can't control it. Yeah, you just can't control. You have to just kind of go with it. And this is the kind of stuff that happens all the time, and it's especially hard when you have that prison thing. But this is why we keep Andrew around, is because he can kind of fix anything. He's so the MacGyver. He's a MacGyver, and he'll definitely fix things in people's houses, stoves, and, you know, lights that are malfunctioning. Okay, so then we had to dive into more of the lifestyle stuff in front of Bonnie. Dan, did you feel any hesitation broaching that kind of subject matter with her? Well, I mean, I spoke with Bonnie a few days before you came in and spoke with her. And so I waded into that water gently. But she has certainly come to terms with the situation that Brandon is in. And she certainly has talked about it enough times. And she loves Brandon and supports Brandon. And I think that in talking to her, she seemed comfortable talking about Brandon and his lifestyle and, and any of the situations that surround the case. So I felt like she was okay. She was okay to talk about these things. Well, did you feel that way? Her son, Dennis, is obviously like the light of her life. She loved, loved, loved her son. She talked about how he was the one that kept the family together and he was the helper for everybody. And so having her validate what Brandon says about his father's acceptance of his lifestyle was really important because if she thought her son would have had a bias, she would have said so. And so when I was on the phone with Brandon, I asked him directly about his dad and whether he would have had any bias about his sexuality. 
this motive that law enforcement suggested you had where you were scared your parents were going to find out about your lifestyle. You know, my dad was non-judgmental. My dad is not going to condemn somebody to hell for being gay, period. And I was his son. I was somebody that he loved and who he took care of. I think what was really interesting because a big motive that was presented was that Brandon's parents found out that he was gay and that became a big blow up. And then that's what caused him to kill them. And, you know, that this was a motive, right? And I think that asking Brandon about that, what his folks knew about his sexuality was super important. And so we asked him that in prison too. But my parents are always supportive of me and they always were supportive of me. And so to, for somebody to even think that, oh, well, because he's gay, he could have killed his parents. Absolutely not. My dad, you know, my dad, like I said, knew my dad was supportive. My dad did tell me, you know, to always just let him know. And, you know, he knew I was going to gay clubs. He knew that he knew my first boyfriend. I was on the phone with my dad multiple times because my dad is not going to let me ride around wherever I want to go without telling him, you know, somewhere that I was going. I don't know if he told my mom or not. Um, but definitely my dad knew and definitely didn't have a problem with it. And, you know, that's just, that's, that's one of the most craziest ideas for people to think. But, you know, I think coming from a small town, it's easy to put that stigma on gay is wrong. Gay is this gay is, you know, and so it's definitely something that should have even been really discussed. If you, if people would personalize my parents and personalize who they were as people, they would know that there's no way my parents would care. I could have been saying I was in love with a cow and my parents would say, well, we love you. You're crazy, but we love you, (laughs) you know? And I think he was so offended that the idea that his parents would be so judgmental. I think if you listen to- So presumptuous to put bigotry on his parents. The victims, yeah. And it's an assumption. I mean, Noel even says like, Brandon was, you know, doing things that his father wouldn't have approved of, you know. Yeah, like he makes was, this, like, he didn't even know these people. Right, with such That's authority. Line, that, that line that Noel says, it's yeah. so unequivocal, yeah, the way he states it, and it's wild. Yeah, so it was great to give Brandon that opportunity to basically say, no, my dad was protective of me. I made sure he knew my boyfriends. He knew what clubs I was going to. You know, I thought that was super important to hear that from Brandon. But also important to hear from other people to see if that's some smoke and mirrors he's throwing up about his parents when it wasn't really true. And Bonnie definitely confirms that about her son. Dennis didn't have a problem with that, with it, someone being gay. Because Dennis just accepted people for who they were. He, he was just a people person and he loved people, and so he, would, he wouldn't have disowned anyone for that reason. Because Dennis had no problem with Brandon's sexuality. And that brings us to the seed that was planted at the beginning of this case. The seed that Brandon was acting differently and should be looked at closely. Now, we can't say if Brandon is innocent or guilty, but we can look at the investigation and the trial and point to the fact that Brandon was treated differently due to his sexuality. And so next episode, we will have a candid conversation around LGBTQIA plus rights, not only back in the early 2000s, but today as well. Because despite some progress, there are still attempts to curb their rights. I asked this question at the end of the TV episode, and I still wonder... In all the years since Brandon's trial, are we really any better?
That's it for this week's episode of True Crime Story. It couldn't happen here, but be sure to join us next week as we dive deeper into the Brandon Woodruff case. They're trying to say that I had this sinister side because I had this completely hidden lifestyle. What it simply was, was I just didn't tell certain people at this time because I didn't really know for myself. I didn't know what 100% that I was gay or bisexual, whether I wanted to go try to get back with my girlfriend or a boyfriend. Join us next week as we continue to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched Sundance TV's True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here, you can catch all of our episodes streaming on AMC+. For more information about this and other cases we've covered, follow at Stories on Instagram. True Crime Story It Couldn't Happen Here was produced by Mischief Farm in association with Bungalow Media and Entertainment, Authentic Management Productions, and Figdonia in partnership with Sundance TV. Executive producers are me, Hillary Burton Morgan, Liz DeCessory, Robert Friedman, Mike Powers, and Meg Mortimer. Producers are Maggie Robinson-Katz and Libby Siegel. Our audio engineer is Brendan Dalton with original music by Philip Ridiotis. We want to say a special thank you to everyone who participated, but especially the families impacted by our cases. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs, if you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.